If you have a Bible, we're in the book of Psalms, as you can tell on the stage. If you're new, a special welcome to you. Um, if you need a Bible, our ushers are in the aisles. Psalm chapter 8, just honored to open God's Word with you today. And uh, so enjoyed last night. We have a Saturday night service uh, that just is incredible as it continues to grow. And then um, obviously our 9 o'clock, they're half asleep. And, um, and, and here are the 11. Good, better, best. Come on, someone say amen. Amen. So um, 11 o'clock, here we go. Turn with me as we launch into Psalm 8. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, here's why I, I want to do this, because uh, Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 21, most of, one of the most incredible days in, in, the, in the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth, and uh, the reason I want to bring it to your attention is because Jesus uh, takes the opportunity on Palm Sunday, which is what Matthew 21 is all about. A uh, great day, an incredible day, a, 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 a day of, of, of prophetic fulfillment, Palm Sunday was. But he quotes on Palm Sunday, he quotes from Psalm 8. And I think it just shows the magnitude and the importance of the psalm that we're going to study together today, for it to show up on Palm Sunday. And I know you know the story of Palm Sunday. They're laying down their palm branches, they're laying down their clothes, they're declaring him to be the King and the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, they're shouting from the highest. And it is absolutely ticking off the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're so threatened by it. But the fact that Jesus here on Palm Sunday, on this day where he actually allows them as he enters into Jerusalem to declare him to be who he really is. You know, for a lot of his ministry, he was sort of like, don't tell anybody, I don't want the cat out of the bag yet, right? But on Palm Sunday, he's like, just shout it from the rooftops. And, and they are just proclaiming him to be the king that he truly is. And he backs it all up with the foundation of what's declared to us in the verses of Psalm 8. Not only does it show up on Palm Sunday, just think of this, the enormity of this particular psalm, Psalm 8, that we're going to look at. So honored to look at it with you today. It shows up in Ephesians. shows up in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, I want to say. shows up in the book of Hebrews. shows up, Psalm 8, here on Palm Sunday. Now, as, as the parade sort of comes to this grand finale, as he enters into Jerusalem, as they're laying down their clothes and their palm branches, declaring him, Hosanna to the King, blessed is the name of the Lord, he immediately goes, beeline, where's the first place he goes? Where does he go? He goes to the temple. And when he arrives at the temple, he cleans house. Right? In fact, pick it up with me. If you have Matthew chapter 21 open, you got it? Say, got it? Look at verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. This is Palm Sunday. Right? He's come in on the donkey. Everyone's been declaring. Look at the previous verse. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then like all you know, all the leaders are like, well, who is this? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, so he beelines, the first place he goes, to the temple of God, and he drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple. Like, listen, they turned the place into a swap meet, right? And he's like, look, he's like 
look at it's like kicking the tables over. Look, stuff is just flying everywhere. He's like, look at this. He's just like, he's like, overturn the tables of the money changers. One of the gospel accounts says he gets a whip out. And he's just turning the place upside down. Overturns the table, the money changes, the seats of those who sold the doves. They're like, they're like, you know what they're doing? They're raising taxes. Hello. You got gas lately? They're raising the roof on the taxes here. They're charging people, you know, to come into the house of the Lord. Taxing on this and taxing on that. And he says in verse 13, he said to them, Is it written, my house shall be called a house of prayer? You've turned it into a den of thieves. And then the blind... And the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying, look at this, look at this, because this shows up in Psalm 8. Kids are a big part of what's going to be declared in Psalm 8. Here they show up, have you ever seen this? On Palm Sunday, and now the kids in turn echo what they've heard their mom and dads screaming and shouting and saying out on the streets, Hosanna, Hosanna. Look at the kids crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. When the chief priests and the scribes, when they saw this going down, they were indignant. They were furious. So you got this one group, this religious community, they're like, boo. They didn't like the parade. They didn't like what everyone was shouting and proclaiming Jesus to be the king, the Messiah, son of David. They were threatened. They hated it. They were like, boo, but the kids are like, yay. And earlier, you know, in Matthew, earlier, right around chapter 18, is it chapter 18? Jesus says, unless we have the faith of that little child, unless, unless we mature, sophisticated North County types, unless we Humble ourselves like a little child. Proclaim him to be as they proclaim him to be. Unless we have the faith of a little child, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven. We'll never see the kingdom of God. And so he's loving it. He's loving hearing the children now crying and echoing what their parents have been shouting out on the streets, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And, 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 and this, this other group, this other group, they're just indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yes. You know that word for yes is right there? You know what it is? Amen. Come on, say amen. Amen. He's like, yes, indeed. Amen. Have you never read, and here he quotes Psalm 8, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? And the day comes to an end. That's the end. That's the grand conclusion, finale of Palm Sunday. And here's why he quotes it. He quotes it because in quoting it, he has now just declared himself to be God. 
and has declared in, 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 in their response to sort of like giving him boob, he's declared them to be the enemies of God, aligned now with the enemies of God. So you have these, you have these kids in their innocent faith proclaiming him to be who he truly is. And he's like, amen to that. Did you not ever read in Psalm 8 that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? And it's not only that, but it's all of creation that declares the glory of God. So turn over to Psalm 8 with me. Turn over to Psalm 8. That sort of is the backdrop. That sets it up. We could look at Ephesians. We could look at, Col- we could look at Colossians. We could look at 1 Corinthians. We could look at, but, but here's the psalm itself. It says this, to the chief musician. Now, who's that? Well, David is writing these psalms here, and they're songs, they're poems. This one in particular, he gives to the chief musician. I don't know if that's like, you know, Pastor Willie, you know, sort of like head of the worship deal, you know, or if it's actually the chief musician, like the composer of it all, because that's what Psalm 8 is about. Psalm 8 is about the origins of life, and it's one of those, honestly, listen, it's one of those blow me away songs it just blows your mind this one does it's actually the psalm of the origins of life and here it is it, it, it is written inspired by the holy spirit and then by david given to the chief musician might be the band leader okay might be the band leader that's sort of like you know getting everybody in tune and sort of like ready for the praise or maybe just like given right back to God, given all the glory right back to the chief composer and musician of it all. Look at this, look what it says. On the instrument of Gath, take note of that, we'll get back to that in a second. On the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. Okay, that isn't added later by the publisher, that's a part of the psalm. That's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I want you to know the background that it's given to the chief musician, whether that's here on earth or in heaven, just sort of like surrendered and given back to the composer and glory of it all. It's a, it's, it's a song that is to be played on the instrument of Gath. And it's written by David. Here it is. O Lord, our Lord. Let's stop right there for a second because there's like quite a sequence here if you've been a part of the series. Right, look at Psalm 6. Psalm 6 starts, O Lord, here's the progression. Psalm 7, O Lord, my God. Here's a progression. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Here's that verse, verse 2. Here's that verse that was quoted on Palm Sunday. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. You've established strength. Why? Because of your enemies. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger. So, from the furthest points of the galaxies, the furthest points of the universe... You have put them in place. Nothing random, no accident, no mistake. Intentionally, you have put them in place. You have set your glory above the heavens. The furthest out points that you can possibly go exist to the glory of God. And then he brings it down really small. That out of the mouth of babes, innocent child, this nursing infant, 
You've established strength. You've defeated your enemies. That he would become that innocent baby for us. The God of the universe. The one that spoke everything into existence. Would then humble himself and come as this little innocent baby. Why? So that the enemy would be silenced, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. That is the strategy and picture that David paints. That he says every star and planet and solar system and galaxy and kid that's ever been born is born to declare the victory that Christ has accomplished on behalf of his creation. And he's like this, he's like, He's like so blown away by it all. He's just sort of like now scratching his head saying, how, how do I even begin to consider? When I, can, when I consider your heaven, not the heavens, your heavens. Gives him ownership. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. It's the work of your fingers. The moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man? Like who, who am I? How do I fit into all that? Maybe you're wondering that today. As a dad, as a mom, as a, as a son, as a daughter, as a marriage, as a family. You're just like, how do I fit into all this? What is man? That you are mindful of him. What does that mean? That you would actually think about us. That it would, by my, my sincere hope and prayer and desire is that you would, you would leave this service today knowing you're not an accident. Knowing you're not a mistake. Knowing that this wasn't somehow left up to random chance. You are the intentional response to the love of a creative God who made you to know him. That all of creation would exist for his honor and for his glory. And David is just like wrapping his brain around it. He's like, who is man that you would think of him, that you would give him the time of day? And he never stops thinking about you. He didn't sleep last night. The Bible declares in the book of Psalms that while you slept, he thought about you all night long. Not only thinks about us, what does David say? Consider us, consider all this stuff. What am I that you would think of me, that you'd be mindful of me, and that the Son of Man, that you would visit him? Didn't just think, he acted. He's not just mindful of us, he, he came. He became one of us. David is hinting here, it's a little foreshadowing, isn't it? To the incarnation, to the creator of the universe, putting skin on limiting himself, humbling himself, emptying himself, and becoming this little baby that he would come and visit us. A little picture of Christmas. A series that's about a month away, a series called Noel. What's it mean? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what it means. We sing it every, we sing it every Christmas. So we'll look at that together. And this is just like a little foreshadowing that the Son of Man, that you would come, that you would come to be with us. Come and visit us. For you have made him 
Look at this description of mankind. You've made him a little lower than the angels. Could have described us in a whole lot of different ways here in verse 5, right? But he, he just props us up. I mean, says, you've made us just a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. That ought to just sort of boost your self-esteem a little bit, I'm thinking. He never stops thinking about you. He's madly in love with you. He's crowned you with glory and honor. Made him to have dominion, verse 6 says. Made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Not our works, but he's entrusted to us his works to be good stewards good stewards of our lives and of our kids and of our families and the whole dominion of his creation. When, when, when Canada was formed, my, my family's from Canada, Toronto. And when, when Canada was, was formed as this extension of the British Commonwealth, it wasn't called the nation of Canada. It wasn't called the country of Canada. From Psalm 8, it was called the dominion of Canada. That's pretty awesome. This picture of, of, of what's been entrusted to us and to be good stewards of it. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. Sheep and oxen and beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea. They pass through the paths of the sea and he just sort of circles back. He's just, like, he's just like blowing gaskets. I think his brain is just like on meltdown and he just like says, Oh Lord. Our Lord. Come on, say it with me. How excellent is your name in all the earth. This is the psalm. This is the psalm that celebrates the origins of life. And maybe for your kids, sort of a liberal university setting or public school, it's under attack. This is the psalm that brings us back to giving him all the honor and the glory that he deserves in the celebration of the origin of life that he has invented and created for us to enjoy. And I love how it starts. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It says, to the chief musician. And then it says this. That this psalm, and the only one that David writes, does it say this about. This, this psalm is to be played or sung on the instrument of Gath. Gath was the capital of Israel's enemy. Gath was the capital of the Philistines. Gath is where Goliath is from. That David fights on behalf of the Israeli army. This is amazing because there is nothing like it in all of Scripture. Church, there's nothing like singing a worship song on the enemy's instrument. <laughs> that ought to fire you up. Because some of you tomorrow, you're just like, man, it's hard going back into to work. Some of you are still working at home, but kind of going back into that setting, going back onto that playing field. And it's like God is saying to you through Psalm 8 that you can sing a worship song to me on an instrument of the enemy. In fact, when you do, it drives the enemy nuts. Because David isn't singing the song of Gath on the instrument of Gath. 
He's singing a praise and worship song to the Lord Most High on the enemy's instrument. I don't know about you, that just sort of resonates in a very challenging way to us all. In terms of being the stewards that He has called us to be over the creation that He has spoke into existence, whose song are we singing? Because if it's still a song that is centered around ourselves, then we're being played. We're being plucked. If we're still somehow living for this world, we're being played. We're being played on the instrument of God instead of it being a song of response to His glory and His honor. What are we doing with these instruments? This is my instrument. This is my instrument of gaff. It's my heart that beats and my brain that thinks and my feet that walk and my lips that speak with this instrument, this fallen instrument, this sinful instrument. Whose song am I singing? And to whose glory am I living? Because here, I mean, Psalm 8 stands out clearly in a category of its own. It is the psalm of the origin of life, but it is showing us that we can sing praises to God even being surrounded by a pagan culture because we're living in Gath. Take a look around. And I think when we sing with our lives to his honor and glory, it turns over the tables of the enemy's agenda and strategy. When we start singing a new song, even in this pagan, centralized culture and society, when we're singing praises to him, not to ourselves, not to this world that is so temporary, but to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what, it's what he means when he says we are in the world but not of it. We're in Gath, but we're not of Gath. With the instrument of Gath, we have actually turned it into a, a, a praise and devoted song of worship to the King Most High that we are saying with ourselves, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It turns the enemy on his ear when he hears us singing a praise and worship song in the midst of being surrounded by such a pagan culture. So listen, San Diego, listen, it is is so much like us to just allow life to pull us off course so that we end up worshiping, and it happens in San Diego so easily because where we live is so beautiful, where all of a sudden we are worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Where the, where, where the center and focus of it all becomes our kids instead of the one who gloriously created our kids in his image. I can't even begin to list the number of families that have left the church or have allowed there to be a hiatus when church attendance is concerned because their kids have become the center of their universe. And here this psalm is just bringing us back to making sure that it's Jesus who's at the center of it all. Not the creation, but the creator of it all. 
that, that, our, that our occupation, our livelihood, all that he has entrusted to us has been entrusted to us not for our own glory. Please, I mean, North County, let this be a psalm that puts us in our place. Who is man? What is man when we're thinking it's all about us? When we think that somehow worshiping nature is, is, is close enough. No, I don't go to church, man. I, I worship on the golf course. Oh. <laughs> we can allow the, the waves. The waves have been rather large lately. Have you not noticed? The waves are like, we can allow the waves to become the, the focus and center of our attention. We can allow our bank accounts and our, our, our resources. I mean, who gave you that? Oh man, I earned, I earned every, knock it off. You don't even control the breath that is in your lungs. We'll allow the wave or the tree or the baby or the star or the moon to end up taking his place instead of allowing him and through this psalm, he is simply calling us back to allow him to be the one that deserves all of the honor and receive all of the glory. A lot of people are after calling. Like, what's, what's, what's my calling? What's my calling? I think David's wondering, what, what's my calling? How do I fit into this whole thing? And the way you discover the calling is by getting to know the caller. And never even allowing the calling to be greater than the caller. Otherwise, we end up missing what all of this has been created for and we're to lean in and allow it to then adjust and align our lives so that it's Him and Him alone that, that, that is receiving all of the glory. I think, honestly, it's why the abortion rate is as high as it is. That's the enemy. Wanting to silence the newborn babes and the infants, the ones who have been miraculously formed, the Bible says, knit together in their mother's womb. The abortion rate is so high because of the miracle that that life represents. Each one wanting to reflect back the glory of his creator and being snuffed out and not allowed to at very too young of an age. The enemy seeks to silence the Creator by every secular means possible. And that's, it just seems to be, that, that's on steroids these days. The enemy is using every means possible to, to silence the Creator and it becomes our response according to Matthew 21 and Psalm 8, it becomes our valid response to actually silence the enemy in the way we are choosing to use these instruments of gath to bring forth glory and praise to his name and his name alone. That is why all of this exists, that his glory is displayed in the heavens, the very work of his fingers, not a big bang, unless the big bang is the snap of his fingers and not even his strong right arm does it say he has invented and created all this or even his hand but just his fingers just the work of his fingers 
I think all of our problems, church, honestly, all of our problems come from not knowing who God is. Or maybe perhaps forgetting after having known who he is. That from the smallest of babies to the largest of galaxies, all exists as reminders to bring us back to knowing him. and Giving him all honor and glory and praise. Even while surrounded in the midst of this pagan gath-like society and culture. You have set your glory as a reminder to us in the heavens. The universe sings. Scientists are blown away by the sound that the universe makes. Discovery Channel cannot deny it. Scientists are blown away by the sound that the universe makes in declaring the glory of God. The universe sings and shouts the reality of God. The heavens declare His glory. It is all His doing. All of it. If, if our galaxy, if our galaxy, I'll just take um, a couple of examples here. Let's just shrink our galaxy down to the size of North America. So our Milky Way galaxy is now, and it takes a while, you know, to drive across or to fly. I guess it's a good six-hour flight, right? Okay, let's just say our galaxy is the size of North America. That means then that our solar system, which is, which is our planet, the planets that are revolving around our sun, that's our solar system within the galaxy. Our solar system would be the size of this coffee cup if our galaxy was the size of our continent. And Earth would be a speck of dust inside the coffee cup. Hello. Right? Like that's David saying, what is man? Like a speck of dust in the coffee cup that is the solar system of the galaxy that is the size of North America, but it's not. It's actually huge. And guess what? Now, according to Hubble and NASA and space.com, there are... Two trillion galaxies like the Milky Way. Galaxies strewn throughout the universe. One of the ones I love the most is called the Eye of God Galaxy. The Eye of God Galaxy is just sort of like that reminder that He's watching us. Oh, did a series years ago um, when I had hair, and uh, it was called MySpace, myspace.god, <laughs> myspace.god, and at that point, the Eye of God galaxy was about as far out as we, we had gone, as, as far out as we had discovered. We have since discovered more. Two trillion galaxies. I know trillion is being thrown around these days like it's chump change, right? Is it not? I mean, you do the math on this thing, you know. And now, as it continues to expand, we have discovered a whirlpool. A whirlpool galaxy looks like this. The whirlpool galaxy, this is amazing, uh, is 31 million light years away. 
Okay, let's, let, let, let's um, the moon, throw the moon up, guys, is 238,000 miles away. That's just nothing. You know, when the New Horizon mission went to the moon, it took eight and a half hours to get there. Okay, 238,000 miles to get to the moon. When you want to go to the star, let's say you want to go to the closest star. The closest star traveling at the speed of light, now the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That's you ripping out of the church parking lot like crazy. (laughs) Right? 186,000 miles per second is the speed of light. And to get to the closest star would take you 4.25 light years. 4.25 light years. 4.25 times 186,000 miles per second. Or if you were in that New Horizons Lunar mission, it would take you 81,000 years to get to the closest star. Alpha Centauri is a cluster of stars. The closest star to us would take you 81,000 years. Or 4.25 light years times 186,000 miles per second. Crazy. Here's Venus, a picture of Venus. Venus is this red planet. Venus, um, one day on Venus is equivalent to 225 days on Earth. Or, or Neptune, Neptune, look at Neptune, blue planet. Neptune, uh, check this out, was discovered in the 1800s and just recently completed its first orbit around the sun. We go around it every year. It just recently completed its first orbit since its discovery. Pluto, which is the next one out from Neptune, poor Pluto, was a planet, not a planet. Planet again? Pluto has, since its discovery, has yet to go around the sun one time. That's just our solar system. And then to begin to think you've got two trillion galaxies out there now, the eye of God being one, whirlpool being the furthest one out that would take you 31 million light years. 31 million times 186,000 miles per second. And when you get there, put up the whirlpool galaxy. This whirlpool galaxy, when you get there, in the eternity that it takes you to get there, that, gal- that one galaxy is 76,000 miles in diameter. No, it's not. It's 76,000 light years in diameter. So I, 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 thought, uh, I thought I'd do this. Because none of this is being taught in school. Like... Like, to the glory of God, none of it's being taught. And it's almost as if Darwin has now sucked all of the oxygen out of the room. As if it's all a mistake. As if it all just like oozed out of some cosmic accident. Which is so contrary to the truth of God's Word. You're not an accident. You're not a random chance. You are 
designed as all of creation to the glory of God. Sing his praises and get in tune with your life, this instrument of gath, to give him the glory and honor that he deserves in all that you live for. So let me just like reintroduce some of you to some team members that just absolutely get buried in a historical record that sadly is being rewritten. Guys that are on our team, believers that chose to allow their lives, their instruments of gath, to not be sucked into the agenda of a secular fallen society, but actually to, to stand out and stand out they do in their lives to the glory of God. Johannes Kepler, not making this up. Johannes Kepler is the father of astronomy. He is the father of physical astronomy, a devout follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gave him all the glory. Said this, Kepler did, and I quote, Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regards to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful Not of the glory of our minds, but rather and above all of the glory of God. Grab that right out of Psalm 8. And as the founder and father of physical astronomy, this born-again believer in Jesus has been stricken from the academic scientific world as being the follower of Christ that he truly was. Or Robert Boyle, I'm talking back in the 1600s. At Oxford, Robert Boyle was known as the father and principal founder of modern chemistry. Here he and his assistant, Robert Hooke, invent the first microscope. First guys to look through that lens and identify a living cell. And all of their proceeds from both Boyle and Hook, the proceeds of their discovery went to the furtherance of the gospel. So we're not going to like waste this on ourselves, they said. We're going to use this for the glory of God. They had a colleague while they were studying at Oxford. Their colleague was a gentleman by the name of John Ray over at Cambridge. John Ray wrote a book called The Wisdom of God Manifested in Creation. John Ray was the first botanist. He was the first zoologist. So if you're into plants or if you're into animals, his classification of both is still in play today. A devout Christian, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the father of natural history, strong in his beliefs, and based it all on Colossians chapter 1, those things that are both visible and invisible. He is living this instrument of gath at Cambridge for the glory of God while Boyle and Hook are living their lives in the instruments of Oxford's gath for the glory of God in their invention of the microscope, both solid in their faith and devoted to living for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Einstein 
was known for having a, a, a photo on his wall of Michael Faraday. Einstein called Michael Faraday the greatest physicist that ever lived. Faraday was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He invented the Bunsen burner, my favorite instrument in the lab, the pyro that I am. How many things did you set on fire with the Bunsen burner, right? Faraday invented that, and not only that, but also benzene. Benzene is the petrochemical in crude oil that is flammable. He was given by Oxford an honorary doctorate. Oxford is not just giving out doctorates to everybody. This guy gets an honorary doctorate and was a devoted follower, Michael Faraday, the greatest physicist according to Einstein that ever lived, and he gave all honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they asked him prior to his death if he wanted to be buried in Westminster Chapel. And he said, no, I don't want any glory going to me. And he was, just, he was buried in a commoner cemetery. But you go to Westminster Abbey, if you have a chance to go there, there's a plaque to the honor of Michael Faraday, the greatest physicist ever known. And that plaque interestingly enough, is, is next to the man in Westminster Abbey that tremendously influenced Faraday the most with his faith-based science. And that was Sir Isaac Newton. And then this guy was the greatest mathematician. He invented calculus. I mean... It, I didn't even get calculus. He invents calculus. He's <laughs> like the greatest physicist. He was a theologian. He invented the telescope. As Boyle and Hooke are inventing the microscope, Newton is inventing the telescope to see into outer space. He had personal challenges, Newton did. He was autistic. He had Asperger's. He was able to overcome his personal limitations and endeavor to accomplish great things for society, Sir Isaac Newton was. In fact, in Westminster Abbey, it has said this about him. It says, here lies Sir Isaac Newton, who by a strength of mind almost divine explored the course and figures of the planets, the path of comets, the tides of the sea, the dissimilarities in the rays of light, and what no other scholar had previously imagined, the properties of the colors that thus prisms produced. He was diligent. Just think of this. He was diligent, sagacious, there's your word for the day. Sagacious. It means he was a wise old sage, full of wisdom. He used it for the glory of God. He was diligent, sagacious, faithful in his expositions of nature, antiquity, and of holy scriptures. Gosh, for us to live like that, to just pray in, the glory and magnitude of what Psalm 8 declares, and then use our instruments of gaff 
to not give any attention whatsoever to the enemy and his strategies, but to kick those tables over and to sing and live and breathe and think and act to the glory and honor of Almighty God. And I don't know what you have planned for tomorrow, but today should change. If in any way tomorrow wasn't planned to be a day where you live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is said that Newton vindicated the majesty of God and expressed the simplicity of the gospel in his manners and in his livelihood. I don't think in light of what's happening in our world that it is a time for us to hold back. But to sing all the louder and to shine all the brighter. That to us it would be said what was said of Newton. That mortals rejoiced that there existed so great an ornament of the human race that we now in our lap of running this human race would run for the glory and praise and honor of Almighty God. Victor, who plays strings on our team, said, Pastor Bob, there's one of my heroes on your list that you left out. Jacob Bernoulli, the founder of statistics, the Bernoulli principle, figured out all of the functions of probability and hydraulics and the math constant known as E. Some of you can explain that to me afterwards. He is the one who actually explains to us why the curveball curves. And on Jacob Bernoulli's tombstone, it says this in Latin, that although I have changed, I shall rise again. I could go on and on and on, but Willie's already started playing, so. I could tell you about Charles Babbage that some of you interact with as a result on a daily basis because he invented computer science and did so as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and gave him all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. Or John Dalton, who's the father of atomic theory. Not a part of atomic theory, The founding father, the one inspired where atomic theory is concerned, an orthodox, sincere, beloved follower of Jesus Christ, or the millions of people throughout history that have been radically changed because of James Simpson. Some of you in the medical fields will know him for discovering that chloroform could be used as an anesthetic. And he got his inspiration for anesthesiology from God putting Adam to sleep. In the book of Genesis, as Eve is then taken from Adam's side and inspires James Simpson 
I love the sincere smile on his face of just allowing the Lord to inspire his work and for his song on the instrument of Gath to be one that gives God great honor and glory. How about us? How about us today? To be more like Joseph Lister. Joseph Lister, whose invention revolutionized the surgical methods in the operating room with his antiseptic invention that some of you might have even taken a swig of this morning. Listerine. All to the honor and glory of the Lord Most High. May we no longer, even for a second, allow Darwin to suck the oxygen out of a room that has been created to give him honor and glory and praise. No longer shall we allow the truth to be hid or the facts to be shadowed we would take this psalm to heart and read it again before our head hits the pillow tonight, maybe even outside on your balcony looking up at the stars and proclaiming even what we'll do this evening on our back field is the opportunity of taking something that is an instrument of gath. Halloween. Kicking its table over and using it as an opportunity to praise and honor and bless the name above all names and live as families for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that identity crisis that Prince Philip found himself in. And he knew that he had married the queen and that his role was to support her and all of the endeavors entrusted to her over the commonwealth. But he began to wonder, as David does, who, who am I? How do I fit in? What, what am I supposed to do? And in 1969, when the astronauts blasted off to land on the moon for the very first time, he had to meet, he had to meet the astronauts from Apollo 11 and invited them to Buckingham Palace. And if you haven't seen that scene from The Crown, that is the one worth watching. Season 3, episode 7, the identity crisis of Prince Philip, thinking maybe the answers to the hole that is in this space known as my heart or my soul or my mind or whatever is missing in me, maybe the answers are found up there in space. i got to meet these astronauts. And he found no answers, no answers whatsoever for meeting those guys. Which drove him to a meeting with his local pastor. And in a small group of men that met together on Tuesday mornings at St. George's House of Windsor Castle, he struck up a relationship and friendship with his priest that forever changed his life and introduced him to a personal walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his memoirs, Prince Philip said it was his greatest accomplishment in life. It's to meet the one who fashioned and formed him together. 
was introduced to him. When he met with that priest, he said, as scary as it would have been for me to get in that rocket and blast off to the moon, it was scarier for me to come and meet with you. Because in meeting with the pastor, he simply acknowledged the hole in his heart and asked for help. I'd show you the scene, but Netflix would sue me. (laughs) Greedy bunch that they are. Suffice it to say, God wants to fill that hole in your heart today. He wants to fill you with meaning and purpose. The acknowledgement of knowing that all of this exists from the smallest to the grandest of scale for the glory of God and that every breath we breathe, step that we take, day that we live should be lived to His honor and lived to His glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just ask that this would be a life-changing day because of a life-changing song. And that we, along with David, would say, O Lord, our Lord, How excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have established strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. May his tables be turned. when we look up and consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars and all that you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? Son of man that you would visit him, that you would make us a little lower than the angels and crown us with glory and honor. May these wonderful men throughout the scientific ages and community that have lived for you as devoted followers of Christ be an example for us today. Let our lights shine bright and may even the example of Prince Philip who longed for a deeper understanding of the reason and meaning of why he was on this earth be asked and answered the verses of Psalm 8 that it is because of a loving God who would give to us his only begotten son that in all now as a result of who you are and what you have accomplished we would live to give you praise and honor and proclaim O Lord our How excellent is your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand and give him praise.